Well, as we uh, look around our families and friends and work colleagues, I'm sure that you've been able to get into different conversations about whether people believe in God or not. When they find out you do, uh, maybe that might be something that provokes conversation. And some people might say, oh, I don't believe in God, or I believe in God a little bit, or I'm not really sure what I believe. But when it comes to God, you know, no one is neutral. No one is neutral. Everyone in this world is worshipping something. Everyone. Everyone of our family members, everyone of our work colleagues, everybody in our street, everybody is worshipping. You, this morning, are worshipping something. What do I mean by worshipping? Well, let me ask a few questions. Just ask these to yourselves now. Where have you turned for peace this week? When things have got hard or uncomfortable, where have you turned? When you've had a terrible day, where do you look? And where do you go to for safety? What gives you joy? What do you get excited about? What is it that you can't stop thinking about? And when there's all, only silence, that's where your mind goes. What gives you purpose? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What gives you hope? What gives you meaning? What gives you value? What makes you feel important? What have you sacrificed for this week? What have you given up other things for in order to do something else? If we were to watch um, your last week together and take it in turns we went round, what would we see that we live for? What's most important? What drives us? See, the Bible says that's actually what we worship. That's our God. Maybe it can be, and it can be good things, things that aren't bad in themselves. It could be our family. We'll do anything for them and they are first and foremost. They come before anything else. Maybe it's our career and we'll sacrifice whatever it takes to get that next step up the ladder. Maybe it's romance. We long for that relationship that'll satisfy. It could be power or pleasure or comfort and we'll do whatever it takes so that we get a bit of comfort. It could be what other people think of us. We just want other people to like us, to love us, to approve us. It could be that we live for our friends, for food, for drink, for entertainment. See, we're made to be worshippers. We're all created to be worshippers. The theologian John Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. So we'll just keep on making idols, little gods, and we'll worship anything. But the Bible tells us also this, that there's only one God who is the true God, one who will truly give us safety and comfort and peace, one who will truly satisfy, and that's the God of the Bible. He gives us real joy and value and meaning and security. And all the other idols, they let us down. He is our true refuge. But the problem is we forget that. And so we always drift towards other gods, other idols. Where has your heart drifted to this week? What idol have you had that has taken God's place? Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. What is it that you worship? Can you see that you do worship something? That something is the most important thing to you? Where do you go to give, to get what only God can give? Where do you go to get what only God can give? Now this morning, when I asked that question, what or who do you worship? We might answer, oh, I worship God. You know, I'm here on a Sunday morning. Yeah, I worship God. But where functionally do we go? Where are we actually drifting to? So in our passage today, Israel have wandered quite obviously to worshipping another god. They've turned to the Baal, 
uh, the, the God of the nations around them. And their king Ahab, um, we're told in chapter 16, verse 30 of 1 Kings, he tells us this, Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all the other kings before him. And he married Jezebel, and Jezebel was from, uh, from outside of God's people, and she worshipped Baal, and so there was a systematic approach to destroy any worship of God in um, God's people. And they were worshipping Baal. Now you might think, well, why were they worshipping Baal? Why were they tempted even? Well, you see, think about it. The royal family were doing it. The two at the top, Ahab and Jezebel. And that filtered down. They led by example. And so if they were doing it, then surely it's okay. Their surrounding nations did it. So they thought, well, everybody else is doing it, so maybe this Baal's got something to tell us. Baal was the known god of one, lots of different things. One of the things was storms and fertility. So here's a god who would promise um, fruitfulness and blessing with their crops, which was life or death back then. Here's a god who would give you a good crop if you please him, which meant money and security and peace and a future. Baal was attractive for many other reasons for lots of people. As I mentioned last week, there were temple prostitutes, and to worship Baal, you'd use a temple prostitute to appeal to the lusts of the people there. You see, they were pulled, they were drawn in. Here's a God who seemed to give just what people wanted. And so people of Israel drifted away from the true God to this false God. Now think of our lives. What promises you all that you dream of? What promises you that peace and security and rest and hope and a future? What is it that you give everything for? You see, we're not that far different from the Israelites, are we? That's where our hearts often go. But what happens in this chapter is something happens, something changes. Look at the end where we're headed in chapter uh, 18, verse 39. It says this. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So something happens in this chapter to take them from worshipping the false idol to worshipping the true God. So what happens here? What goes on in this chapter to pull them back? Well, we can ask the same question to us. We, all of us, have known our hearts wander. If we don't see that, then we're lying. All of us, our hearts have wandered over the past weeks or months to other idols. How do we win our How does God win our hearts back? How do we see how great he is? Well, we need to see that he's better than our idols and where we drift to. So let's look at four ways that God is superior to our idols in our hearts and to places we turn, and how we see that in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Four areas. The first is this, the reality of God, the reality of God. In um, chapter 18, verse 1, we didn't read this, but look what it tells us. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Remember what's happened? Um, We've seen that um, Elijah came to Ahab and said, look, as long as the Lord God reigns, there's going to be no rain for three years. There's going to be no rain because you've turned away from God. And so he is going to bring his judgment and say there's no rain. So there was drought for three years. And Elijah brought that message to Ahab. And you see what that meant? Here's the God of fertility, Baal, promises, I'll give you crops, I'll give you what you want. And then suddenly, God stops the rain. It's a big way of God saying, look, he's the false God. I'm the real God. I'm the one you should really worship. And it's a huge declaration from God to say, I am the true God. So what does Elijah do? 
He wants everybody to know that. So look at verse 19. He says, Send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. Get the prophets of Baal and the other prophets. Bring them all to Mount Carmel. We're going to have a showdown. We're going to have a face-off. It's going to be, we're going to see once and for all who is the true God. Look at verses 23 and 24. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood. But put no fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God. I'll call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. You see what's happening? You're going to get, um, we're going to see who's the real God once and for all. Get your bull, chop it up, call down for fire. And the God who brings fire is the true God. Is that fair? That's what he's saying. Come on, let's do this. Because here they were, they were not sure. Elijah wanted people to acknowledge God as God, to see this is the true God. Now, when we think of what difference this makes to our lives, this morning, God is encouraging us and challenging us and saying, look, who are you worshipping? Who's the true God in your life? And often we say, yeah, God is God. Yeah, we believe that. But do we really? Is it affecting our lives? Is it really? Are we living that out from day to day? Because we can't just acknowledge God as king and say, oh yeah, God is God, but then our lives say something else. It's betraying the true, what we're truly believing. Look at verse 21, and this is the challenging verse here. Elijah says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. Stop limping between two opinions. You've got to choose, he says. Now it sounds a bit like here that they're sitting on the fence. And they have a bit of God, um, the true God, and a bit of Baal, and, and they're not really sure. But the limping between really suggests and shows us it's more than that. The picture given really is, imagine a married couple, but the husband is having an affair. And so he goes back to his wife, and after being with his mistress, he's there, and he's with his mistress, he's with his wife, pretending he's fine. Oh, no, I'll have both. Oh, no, you can't. You're betraying you are breaking one's heart. And that's what Israel were doing. They weren't trusting in God at all because they were, they were limping between two opinions. They were being unfaithful to God and they were breaking his heart. That's what they were doing. So God is confronting us this morning and he asks each one of us, who are you going to follow? Who are you going to trust? Who's the true God? If God is God, follow him. Yeah, don't stop, stop limping around between two opinions. You've got to decide. But often we can be reluctant, can't we? We can say, God, I'll follow you. But then there's one area of life we'll say, not in that area. I'm keeping that for me. What area this morning is God saying, no, not that? It all needs to come. You need to bring it all to me because I am the Lord. See, there's a battle going on in our hearts at the moment. And God is saying, follow me, trust me. If God is God follow him. Any other God is false. So the reality of God is where we start. How do we battle the idols in our heart? Look, he's the true God. But secondly, notice here the power of God, the power of God. Now, Elijah issues this challenge, verses 23 and 24, as we just read. He says, let's see who's real. Get the bulls, chop them up, and let's see which, where the fire comes from. So the stage is set. The whole nation of Israel is gathered together and they are watching to see what's going to happen. 
There they are on Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel is where there was a history of Baal worship. So in one sense, um, Elijah had chosen the, um, the opposite of a home advantage. So Baal had the home advantage. You know, in a football game or rugby game, if you're at home, you've got a better chance because you've got the crowd supporting you. Well, he chose Baal's home advantage. Also, Baal was the god. Another thing that he was famous for was the god of fire. So he said, look, call this god of fire to bring fire. The odds are stacked against Elijah. 450 prophets against one. It looked weak. He looks like he hasn't got a chance. And so what happens, verse 26, they took uh, the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around, there's that word again, limped around the altar that they had made. So there was nothing. They'd been calling for hours and hours. There's nothing. And what does Elijah say? Verse 28. Well, Elijah enjoys this. He starts to really make fun of them. And he says, cry loud, for he is a god. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself. He's, he's, go- he's in the toilet. You've got to shout louder because he's busy. He's really taking the mick out of them here. They said, oh, maybe he's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep. He's got to be awakened. Come on, get your god. Make him do something. So here he is, Elijah, 1 verses 450, in the away ground. And what's he going to do? Well, their God did nothing. Look at verse 28 and 29. They cried aloud. They cut themselves. They danced. They were working hard. They raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Nothing. So Elijah steps up. 1 verses 450 in his away ground and Elijah says right let's make this even harder okay I want you to get loads of water verse 32 pour loads of water all over the offering now you don't need to be a scientist to know that if you have something that's wet it's going to be harder to set a light yeah I I'm not much of a scientist but I I know that much he is making it harder not just a little bit of water not just a bit of a a trickle of water but actually covered in water it is uh, this is soaking now absolutely soaking and um what what um what does he do then the trench is filled with water verse 35 it's humanly impossible isn't it it's a dead end there's no chance of god do it of um elijah doing anything here but what happens well god um, elijah prays to god and so he says verse 36 O lord god of abraham and isaac and israel let it be known this day that you are god in israel that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you are the Lord and that they, they have their hearts turned back. And what happens? Then fire from the Lord fell, consumed the burnt offering, which is what the basic needs to be happening, but not just that, the wood went and the stones and dust all consumed. Now again, I'm not much of a scientist, but I know for fire to get rid of stones is pretty powerful. So here is God displaying not just the minimum of what needed, but you want to see fire? I'll show you fire. It's all gone. All gone before everybody. And it's there God works. You see, a wayground. One prophet versus 450. Uh, Water covered it all. And God wins. He displays his power. Everything's gone. See, what has done this? Has Elijah done this? With his rituals and his dancing? No, he didn't do any of that. He just said, God, it's your turn. Over to you. And he did it in a moment. You see, God gets the glory. God gets the praise. It wasn't his actions. 
but um, God's power. And that's what this shows us. God is a powerful God. There's a huge contrast between the gods here, isn't there? Here's the Baal, and they are fighting hard to get his attention. They are working hard. They are dancing. They're cutting themselves. They end up totally spent, exhausted, empty, and they've got nothing to show for it. You know, if we go to other idols, other gods, except for the true God, that's what we end up like. We long for things around us to fill our hearts, to satisfy our longings, and we chase after them. We want them, we go for them, and they leave us exhausted and empty. These idols, they demand, they demand, they demand, and they leave us with nothing. Just a bit more money, and I'll be happy. Just, a, just, you know, just that bit more to make me comfortable, then I won't need any more. We get the bit more, and what happens? just a bit more so i'll just work a few more hours i'll just sacrifice this and that and that just and then i'll be happy if i just have a better holiday then then it'll be all okay or just that newer kitchen or if i just have this relationship instead of that relationship then that'll sort all my problems out if i just lose a bit more of this weight if i just get a bit healthier if i just 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 if i get it and then i'll be sorted so we exhaust ourselves and we end up spent empty exhausted because the idols promise everything but they're false and they give us nothing i don't know if you saw this over the last couple of weeks adam Peaty, who's the olympic swimmer very successful in um 2016 he won the gold for the 100 meter breaststroke and he, he was the first um he was the first british swimmer ever to retain the title in 2021 it was then because of the delay of the olympics She's this gold medal winning athlete, very successful, very driven. And this is what he said in an interview with the BBC. He said, a good friend of mine said, a gold medal is the coldest thing you'll ever wear. It's the coldest thing because you think it'll fix all your, pro all your problems. It will not. I took a break and he's, he's taken a break from it because I was on this endless search of a gold medal or a world record. And I looked into the future and I said, okay, if I do get that, is my life fixed for the better? He realized actually that he'd got this thing that he was longing for and working for and it just left him feeling empty and that story is repeated time and time and time again with Olympic athletes with musicians with um, actors and actresses Every, they get to the pinnacle the peak they win that Oscar you know they get that prize and they realize is that it this idol that seems like everything has just left them with nothing but then we compare to the real God. The real God who, who says, turn to me. And he gives, he gives, he gives. When we come to God, we don't come to impress him. We come in weakness. Look at the situation here. There was no chance, humanly speaking, of this fire coming. But God did something outside of, of that to work in their hearts and in their lives. We come empty to God. We come soaking wet as it were saying god i what can you do i can't do this we come um totally empty-handed and what happens instead of us being empty and exhausted he fills us up and gives us peace that's what the god of the bible promises the true god now maybe um this morning you're thinking well can god really accept me can god really can i really turn to him this morning you know, you think, oh, what can I do? Do I have to do more good things? Do I have to give to charity, go to church, do all these things? And maybe God will accept me. Well, no. We come in our weakness. 
we come to the end of ourselves, and God works. We come saying, I've tried all these other idols, I've tried these other gods, and they've just left me empty. But the God of the Bible says, I can satisfy. I can fill you because I'm the true God. Turn to him. This is the power of God displayed for us all to see. Now, where else in the Bible do we see God's display of his almighty power? Well, lots of places, but one that stands out is on the cross, isn't it? There, a situation of total human weakness. There, it just looked like there was no chance. Here's this man hanging on a cross. Death, it's a dead end, it's had it. But then three days later, he rose to, get, rose to life. And he's alive. And because of that, we see God is a God of power. God is a God who gives everything for you. All the other idols say, I'll, I'll give everything you want, but leave us empty. God gives himself and satisfies and fills our hearts. When we compare them side by side, who's your God? What's it really giving you? Jesus gives everything for you. He holds nothing back. The reality of God, we need to see to fight the idols of our hearts. We need to see the power of God. Thirdly, we need to see the grace of God. And these last two points are much quicker. The grace of God. Look, look closely at verses 30 and 31 in a moment. Because there we see, um, Elijah said, Come near, and all the people came. He repaired the altar that had been thrown down. And he took 12 stones, very important that to show, look, the 12 tribes of Israel represented here, God's people here. The sacrifice is ready and prepared. The water is poured over. And then, verse 38, the fire comes down. What do the people do when they see it? Well, then they saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. You know, they are rejoicing now. That God, he is God, and he has shown his fire here. Now, when we look at the background to what's going on, there's something wonderful here. Because um, the fire coming down from heaven to consume a sacrifice isn't just found in 1 Kings 18. In fact, if we go back to Leviticus, the first time God, um, when they build the tabernacle, which was God's special place where he dwelt, he said, I'll be there to show I'm with you. The first time that was built, listen to what happened. The fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And then that tabernacle, which was a tent, became a more permanent feature when they built it into the temple. And what happened when the temple was complete? As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. See, fire coming down was, yes, a signal that God was there, but it was also a signal that said this, the sacrifice is accepted. Come and worship. Yeah, I'm accepting it. You can come. So the fire is proof God is God, but not only that, it's an invitation. Saying, look, come to me. Now think of who the people were. These are people who for years and years and years had kept ignoring God, kept wandering away from him, kept going to other idols, kept going to, um, when he called them to come back, they kind of ignored him and went their own way. And yet, God here in his grace and mercy sends fire and says, now come. This is who I am. Stop wandering. Come back to me. Now we can often feel that we've wandered too far for God to accept us, can't we? And maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, it's okay for everybody else. They can be forgiven. They can have a fresh start, but not me. I've just wandered too far this time. Oh, I've done this and it's too much. If I come back to God, will there be a welcome? If I come back to him, will he accept me? Well, this passage is telling us today, God says, come. 
you are welcome. Not the person sitting next to you, although they are too, but God wants to you to hear, you're welcome. Look, the sacrifice has been accepted. You say, well, what sacrifice? Well, again, we're here on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, but let's go to another mountain in the Bible, Mount, the Mount of Calvary. And there we see a sacrifice prepared for us, Jesus Christ. And there, as he died in our place, the sacrifice is accepted. Jesus said, it's finished. I've done it. I've lived the life you couldn't live. I've died the death you deserve to die. And when we look at that sacrifice accepted, it is God's huge message to each one of us to say, now come. Now come. You haven't wandered too far. Listen to this this morning. You might be saying, no, I've gone too far. God is saying, come now, look at my son, the Lord Jesus, and you can be cleansed and forgiven. Again and again and again. Do you need to come back to him today? Do you need to look at that sacrifice as accepted and see that God is inviting you to come? Don't wait. He invites you now. Praise his name, the grace of God. We don't deserve it. But that's why God is so wonderful and glorious. We don't fight to earn his favor. He comes down to us. So the reality of God, how do we fight these idols? We look at the reality of God. We look at his power, the fact that he can actually do something. We look at his grace. And the last thing is we look at his justice. Now, this is quite a famous passage. You might have heard this story before. Um, but often, if maybe in Sunday school or in children's clubs, we hear this story, and maybe we don't get to verse 40. Because if we're honest, we get to verse 40 and think, oh, couldn't we just have finished at verse 39? The victory of God, God's people come, but why do we have to have this bit on the end where he gets all of the prophets and he slaughters them? Why? You wouldn't get that on a coloring in, would you? No, because it's, it's brutal. It's horrible. No, thank you. But this is God's word, and we can't just skip over things. We need to ask, well, why is that there? Well, think of this for a moment. You might hear often of uh, somebody who's on a, a killing rampage. They've got a gun. They're on the loose. We wouldn't be surprised, would we, if we heard of a policeman or a, um, a marksman taking that person down and shooting them and killing them to, for the good of and the safety of the people. We, we're okay with that. Or we might hear of dictators who were doing horrible things being killed because of they were just putting people in danger because of their evil. These leaders were dragging God's people into danger, into horrible, dark danger. And it included things like child sacrifice, worshiping of Baal, horrific things, dark things. And so God in his love must judge. He must do something about this. And so here we see these leaders need to be got rid of. These, um, these uh, prophets, they were dragging God's people away into darkness. And so they needed to be dealt with. Now, when we come to a verse like this, it is hard and it is often uncomfortable. But maybe, what if the problem isn't so much with the Bible and with God? What if the problem's with us? We don't really grasp how serious sin is, how serious walking away from God is. We don't see how much it hurts God, how much it destroys us. You know, sin in its very nature destroys, breaks down. It pulls relationships apart. 
It, it is a cancer that goes through and destroys lives. And we just get used to it. We get comfortable with it in our lives. And yet the trajectory of following our desires is disaster. We don't see how dangerous it is. And so verses like this remind us God is serious about it. He loves you too much to just let you wander blindlessly into it. So here, God is telling us and reminding us, do you see that I care? I care too much to let you just keep wandering. And God is a judge who must put things right. He can't just look at things, people who've done things, and dra drag people into sin and rebellion. He can't just look at them and say, oh, it doesn't matter. No, there's justice. And God was using Elijah to bring God's word and his justice as well. He's got to get rid of the disease. He's got to cut it out. Romans 11 verse 12 says, Note then the kindness and severity of God. We need both, don't we? And when we see how serious sin is and how serious our rebellion against God is and, and what it does to God's heart, it's then we start to realize just how amazing the cross is. Because there we see that God has to take our sin seriously. And instead of punishing us, he punishes his son. He takes the blame he takes the hit in our place. See, if we've got a God of no judgment, we've got a God who doesn't care. But we've got a God who cares deeply about the injustice and the rubbish in this world and says, I want to, I want to deal with it. I must deal with it. The more we see the, the darkness of our sin, the brighter the cross shines. So I see, wow, he forgave me. He's done that for me. That's what I deserve. He took my help so that I won't have to face hell. He took my judgment so that I could be forgiven. Isn't it wonderful to think that one day that one who died on the cross is going to return to fix it all in a world made new, a total judgment, total justice. It is good news that we've got a God of judgment, even though at first it might not seem it, because he cares and he's going to fix things. Now today, let's finish now are you limping between two opinions? Have you been wandering to other idols? This morning God says to you, it's time to choose. Stop limping between two opinions, choose. Who are you following? Who are you trusting in? Who are you living for? Look at the Lord Jesus, the one who gave his life for you. Compare that with your idol who is promising everything but giving nothing. And say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. If the Lord is God, follow him. Let's pray that we can follow him with faithfulness just this week by his grace. In Jesus' name, let's pray to finish. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that sometimes it is uncomfortable. We thank you that you love us enough to challenge us. And so we pray, please, that you'd help us now to say together, we're going to follow the Lord, the true God. And we pray this for your glory's sake in Jesus' name. Amen.